The Home Ranch by Ralph Moody, 1956, University of Nebraska Press. We're on Chapter 15, A Belly Full of Writing. Lord God, you knit us together in our mother's womb. Every one of us was put together, um, and we were born. We didn't get a vote. We didn't choose. It wasn't our doing. It happened, Lord God. And by your good design, you know all that we need before us, and um, you sustain us. So we worship you, we give you thanks, that in the this moment of time we find ourselves, Lord, I pray for an obedient spirit, that our hearts would be glad for all that you've made. We pray this in Jesus' name, who sits right now at your right hand. Amen. Monday morning, I felt as if I'd slept with my legs tied around a barrel, and I could almost hear myself squeak in the joints. I rubbed on plenty of liniment and made up my mind that I'd walk with my knees close together so nobody could guess how rough I really felt. That was the first morning Hank was well enough to eat in the chuck house. He still looked sort of puny, but being sick hadn't showed his talk hadn't slowed his talking a mite. Over and over again he kept telling us how sick he'd been and what the doctor had said to him and all the different dreams he'd had when he was out of his head. Yes, sir, by doggies, he shouted. I seen them pearly gates a-swinging open. And old Peter, speaking about gates, Mr. Bent cut in on him. You reckon you're stout enough to open and close the gate today? There's a heap of rounding up and cutting to be done before Batch gets back here at the weekend. And short-handed as I am, I could sure use you to man a gate. Hank tried his best to cough and said weakly, Bye, doggies. I don't know if I can make it. What? I'm feeling mighty, mighty poorly. But with you a being shorthanded, I'll try to my best to get out and around. Reckon that would be a good idea, Mr. Bent told him. I'll want you at the corrals right after dinner. <clears throat> there was a tone in Mr. Bent's voice that I hadn't heard before. And he didn't speak again until we were out at the horse corral. Then he told Ned me, Get your saddles on your best horses, boys. We'll start at the north end and sweep everything this way. For the weeks out, we're going to put every critter on the home place through the corrals. Batch wants everything booked, the young stock put up to the mountains, and 120 head of trade stock cut out and ready by Sunday. We'll round up forenoons and cut after dinner. The sun was just rising when Mr. Bent, Ned, and I reined onto the north trail at a good sharp canter, and we didn't slack off till we reached the north fence seven miles from the buildings, and when he said we were going to sweep the cattle, he'd used just the right word. On open range, where a steer can be seen for a mile, cattle can be rounded up and driven in big herds, but in brush country, they have to be swept out of each canyon, draw, or hollow, the way a woman sweeps out the rooms of her house, and you have to sweep around every thicket and clump of scrub oak the way she sweeps around the furniture. We started with the canyons in the far northwest corner of the home ranch, right up against the front range of the Rockies. Mr. Bent did the planning and bossing, but he did an awful lot of the riding, too. And he put his sorrel down canyon sides that looked too steep and rocky for a mountain goat. We worked every canyon separately, with Ned on one side, me on the other, and Mr. Bent all over it. He was always bringing out cattle we'd missed, but he'd never blamed us, and he never shouted. Around the corrals, his voice was deep and rumbly. But in the brush, he raised it just enough to make it carry. From a quarter of a mile away, it would come as clear as a bell. Above you, boy. Catch that side pocket. Watch it, Ned. They're turning back below you. Or 
Leave any cows with calves, but mark them down in your head. As we swept each canyon clean, we drove the cattle we'd found past the mouth of the canyon to graze along and be joined by the next sweeping. Pince's shadow was so short it was hidden under his belly when Mr. Bent called. That's got it, boys. We'll head on into the corrals. Outside of borders, Mr. Bent hadn't said anything to me all forenoon. But when he had the herd lined out and moving toward the corrals, um, he, so outside of orders, Mr. Bent hadn't said anything. Okay, he slowed his horse as he rode by me and said, Pears like Hazel done a pretty good job of learning you to find cattle in brush country. Yes, sir. She's a good teacher, I said, and he rode on. It was nearly four o'clock when we brought that first sweeping into the crowds, but Mr. Bent must have planned it that way. As soon as the gate was closed, he said, Better get washed up and into the chuck house, boys. Grub's on the table. <clears throat> then he looked at me and said, Ye hearty, you've still got a big day's work ahead. I don't think I looked up for my plate once during dinner. I was too busy eating and thinking about the day's work that was ahead of me. <laughs> I knew what it would be and had trouble to keep from being afraid of it. There was every kind of cattle in the sweeping we'd brought in, and the only cutting horse on the place was in my string. I ate enough, but I didn't stuff. A stomachache to go along with lame legs and clay was something I, didn't, I couldn't take a chance on. Hank hadn't come to the table, and I hadn't seen Hazel since the night before. But when Jenny, Jenny brought in the pie, Mr. Bent said, Tell Hazel to fetch the herd book and a pencil out to the corral, and tell Hank I'm ready for some gate tendon. Getting his legs under him won't do him no hurt. and might work a little of the wind out of him, so as we can eat a meal of vittles in peace. Then he looked at me and said, Throw your saddle on clay. I'll be at the cutting corral. I ate my pie in about six bites, then hurried to the bunkhouse and rubbed plenty of liniment on my legs. When I'd saddled Clay and ridden to the cutting corral, everybody else was there and ready to work. Hazel was sitting on a little platform by the cattle pans with a book open on her lap. Hank was leaning against one of the gates, and Mr. Bent and Ned were mounted, ready to take away the cattle as they <clears throat> were cut from the herd. Mr. Bent opened the gate for me to ride in and told me, with only one man on the gates, we'll have to take him by kinds. Take the young stock first, pick him off the outside of the herd as long as you can. Then he turned back and stood his horse beside Ned's. There were about 60 cattle in the corral, and they were jammed into a far corner. I've heard that a drowning man thinks of a million things in less than a minute. If so, I was pretty close to drowning as Clay walked slowly toward that herd. From the way Mr. Bent had spoken and acted, I knew I'd have to sink or swim without any help. And in the minute it took Clay to reach the herd, I thought of everything Mr. Bachelet, Mr. Bent, Hazel, or my father had ever taught me. And I think I prayed a little, but over it all I kept telling myself, stay loose, stay loose, stay loose. I don't, want help. I don't know what helped the most, but I must have had help from somewhere. One after another, Clay took the animals I wanted out of the herd, and when he dodged and side-slipped, I didn't feel as if I'd be spilled at every turn. I knew the job I was doing was far from perfect, and I tightened up a good many times when I shouldn't have. But for the first time since I'd tried to use him, Clay didn't act as if he thought I was a stupid fool. As I cut each animal from the herd, Mr. Bent rode his horse in behind Clay and took it away. As he and Ned drove it toward the gate, he'd call to Hazel, Yearling heifer, roan, shorthorn, Durham steer, short yearling, good grade, or bull, white face, herd grade, long yearling, I knew that marking down the cattle wasn't all Hazel was doing, that she was watching every move Clay and I made. 
and I could almost see her keeping score of my mistakes. Each time I tightened up or made a mistake, I wanted to peek up to see if she'd noticed, but I didn't let myself do it until I had the last yearling cut out and turned over to her father. Then when I did look up, she didn't say a word. She just let her shoulders slump loose and grinned and nodded her head. I don't know why, but it made a lump come into my throat. If she'd shouted that I was staying loose and doing a pretty fair job, she couldn't have told me any plainer. My nerves were zinging when Mr. Bent turned back from the last yearling and rode toward me. All right, he said. Now we'll cut out the trade stock. I'll call him to you as I want him. Fetch that two-year-old white-faced bull that's trying to pick a fight. Watch out. Then, without finishing, he reined his horse away and stood beside Ned's. If he'd gone in and said, and watch out for horns, it wouldn't have hurt my feelings. But his not saying it made me pretty happy. Just having him show that he didn't think I needed to be told. It's easy to stay relaxed when you're fishing or just watching a herd of grazing cattle, but it's hard to do when your nerves are humming like a telegraph wire on a cold night. I've been keeping an eye on that white-faced bull ever since Ned flushed him out of a canyon, and there was no question about his being ugly and looking for a fight. I wasn't exactly afraid of him, but he outweighed Clay by 500 pounds and had wide, forward, curved horns. If that kind of a bull charges and gets his head under a horse, he could throw it as if he were a sack of meal. And the rider has about as much chance as a fat pig at a barbecue. I was telling myself, keep loose, keep loose, as I turned Clay to face the herd. The white-faced bull watched us with his head low, grumbling deep in his throat, and pawing dirt high over his back. I let Clay take a couple of steps straight at him, so he'd know which animal we were after, then drew him off a trifle to get behind and push the bull out. We didn't need to get behind. When we were within two lengths of him, the bull charged. Quicker than a shot of a pistol, Clay sidestepped the rush and was between the bull and the herd. <coughs> I let the reins go loose, grabbed the horn, and from then on, things happened too fast for me to remember. I do know that the bull charged us at least a dozen times, and that Clay used his own body to twist him and turn him the way a matador uses his cape in bullfighting. And I know one other thing, that for the first time I ever really got that feeling Mr. Bent had told me about, the one about dancing with your best girl. I never knew a horse could whirl, weave, twist, and bounce away as fast as Clay did with that charging bull. But my muscles stayed loose, and the saddle stayed on my bottom all the way. I was getting just a little bit <laughs> just a little bit dizzy when Clay yanked the bull around in a turn that was shorter than his own body. It must have made the bull even dizzier than I, because all of the fight went out of him. He stood with his head and tail down as Mr. Bent rode in to take him away. I don't think Mr. Bent had noticed me once during the whole fight. When he rode past, he was slipping a six-shooter back into its holster, and all he said was, A lot of horse, ain't he, boy? I was proud to have my voice steady when I said back, Yes, sir, an awful lot. What animal do you want now? I don't know whether Mr. Bent picked that bull on his first call just to get him out of the herd, or if he did it to let me find out that I'd really got the hang of clay, and maybe of myself a little bit. Whichever way he intended it, it worked the second way. From then on, I never had to tell myself to stay loose in the saddle, and I was never afraid again. It was in that fight with the bull that the first real understanding began between Clay and me. One after another, Mr. Bent called for the cattle he wanted, and as we brought them out, <clears throat> he called the description to Hazel. I didn't look up at her until the last of the trading cattle had been cut out of the herd, and then she just grinned and nodded. <clears throat> the sun was nearly two hours from setting, when we began cutting out the brood cows 
that would be turned back to pasture after the sweep was finished. Most of them were beginning to be heavy with calf, and the job of cutting them away from the herd was easy. Now that Clay and I understood each other better, we were about half through the cutting when Kenny came riding to the corral gate on his donkey. <laughs> he called something, and I heard Mr. Bent call back, Tell her to get the grub on the fire. We'll be through a lot earlier than I reckoned on. I glanced up at Hazel while they were talking, and she pointed back and forth between herself and me, then at her father. I guessed that she wanted me to ask him if we could go and practice when we were finished with the cattle. After his having told me he'd give me a belly full of riding, I didn't like to ask, <laughs> but, Kate, but Hazel kept emotioning. So when I brought the last cow out of the corner, I asked, would it be all right for Hazel and me to practice horses a little while after supper? Mr. Bent's face had been serious all day, but when I asked him, it brightened up, and he said, Betcha my life. Betcha my life, boy. He started to ride away, then turned back and said quietly, Reckon you'd best stop it before we eat. Hazel's mom might not have cotton to her going out after supper. Oh, reckon you'd best do it before we eat. Hazel's mom might not have cotton to her going out after supper. If I was you, I don't reckon I'd say much about this trick riding business around the house. How's the gal doing? Fine, I said. <clears throat> I'm sorry she got bruised up so much, but it won't be safe for her to try the diving trick till she can stay loose in the saddle on quick stops. For a few seconds, Mr. Bent sat as if he were trying to make sense out of what, out of what I told him. Then he just said, Betcha my life. Make her learn it good, and rode away. All the way to the practice meadow, Hazel was as bubbly as soap suds. We had hardly hit the north trail when she called back, I got it all learnt. I learnt it this afternoon when you was riding clay, and you done did fine. Maybe I'm getting the hang of him a little bit, I called back. But what was it you learned? How to keep loose. What else is there to learn? Not much, I told her, but I still don't know what you're talking about. Well, I do. All I got to do is not to, is to not let myself know I'm going to say until I hear it. That way I won't get scared and tighten up. It would work if you could do it, I told her, but I don't see how that has anything to do with my riding clay. That's what you was doing. Right clean up to the time you had the fight with the white-faced bull, not letting yourself know you was scared. I seen it plain as daylight. Well, I don't know how you could see what I was thinking, I called back, but I guess you're pretty near right. I knew it, she squealed, as if she just found an ostrich egg. I knew it, and I know something else you don't. Pa was holding a gun on that bull all the time you was fighting him, and he'd have pulled the trigger, too, with all he thinks of them, those purebreds. There wasn't any need for Pinch and me to practice the running and stopping. With the lines draped over the horn, he'd always set his feet at the first sound of the hiss, and all I got out, out of it was a pounding against the pommel. But I couldn't just sit back and let Hazel practice alone, so when we reached the meadow, I asked, Why don't we trade horses for tonight? Then you won't have to stop have to think about stopping Pinto, but only about staying loose in the saddle. No, sir. No such of a thing, she snapped. When I do the trick for Paw and Bash to see, I'll be doing it off Pinto, and I ain't going to take no easy horse now. And besides, I'll do all the hissing from now on, because I'll have to be doing it for myself when, I'll, when I really do the whole trick. I don't think Hazel had learned a thing from watching me ride Clay, <laughs> but that, that she thought so much about staying loose that she taught it that... Uh, but that she'd thought so much about staying loose that she'd taught it to her muscles. However, it worked. We made a dozen runs without her tightening up but once, and Pinto behaved a lot better than he ever had before. 
That was as much as I'd let her do because I didn't want her to get bruised any more than she had to. And I didn't want her father to tell me again that he'd give me a belly full of riding. <laughs> Good stuff. I love you.